You know, uh, Brandon said a couple weeks ago uh, that the holiday times and Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and this whole holiday season, you know, all of our issues, you know what I'm talking about when I say issues, our, our, our problems, like, they just come to the surface. And I think one of the reasons that, that happens is, is there's, there's, just, there's just so much motion. There's so much activity in our lives, and, and especially relationally, uh, during this time that, that we just, things just, just rise up to the surface, and uh, sometimes we just do things that we don't normally uh, do, uh, uh, relationally or, or whatever it may be, and there's just, there's just an increased amount of stress uh, during this time, and, and even relationally. And I, I, when I was a kid, I, we would go visit my grandparents uh, at least once or twice a year, and at a home in Arizona, and, and we would go there. And uh, my grandmother was like a lone range, ranger cooker uh, in, in the kitchen. And uh, so she would be in there, and, you know, it was just kind of like everybody just needed to, to stay away and all this stuff. And so we did. And uh, she was about maybe 5'2", uh, you know, like 100 pounds, something like that. And she was just in there making it happen, banging and stuff around. And uh, one Christmas, uh, she, we about to getting close to eat, you know, the buzzer goes off. Not like now, you know, remember the, eh, you know that buzzer, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's like the old school buzzer when you were a kid, right? And so that buzzer went off and, you know, the oven comes open and she's got, you know, the, that's to grab the turkey, right? I mean, it was a, it was a buff turkey, right? I mean, one of those, just, it was ripped, okay? It was thick. And so she had this turkey and, and because she wasn't very big, a little, and, and all that, she, she grabbed it and it got a little off balance, and all of a sudden, the turkey came off the, the trade dealy bop or whatever, okay? Hit the ground, and because it was buff, it bounced like a basketball, okay? And so, so I mean, and we had full view of this, because we were just in the living room. So, all of a sudden, and so the turkey, the ground, it's bouncing in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, I'm like eight years old, and I, all I hear is bleep, right? You know what I'm saying? Grandma. Bleeping in the kitchen, all right? I'm like, Mom, what's bleep, you know? And uh, so, as she was just like, I mean, but just kind of, and so, but it, but it was serious. Like, if, if you did that, I know that you would be on the floor with the turkey laughing at yourself, right? Right, yeah, okay. No, you'd be stressed out, too, because your turkey's on the ground with a bunch of hair and all that stuff. It's on the floor all over, okay? And so, but that's what happened. And so, the rest of the night was just like, like somebody died or something, you know, it wasn't Christmas, it was like, everybody was just quiet and, and tense, and, and so all, all I would say just on the relational end as we move into the Christmas time is don't take yourself too seriously, and just have fun and relax, and when the turkey hits the ground or whatever, uh, bounces it more, I don't know, uh, but just have fun, and because the truth is, is that Christmas time, people show up to our houses that potentially, we have issues with them, Right? They're either like control freaks or they're going to try to manipulate you for the next two days or, you know, something. They're going to do something to you. And so uh, you've probably heard this term before, but EGR people, extra grace required. Okay. And so those folks are coming this week to your house. And so I'm just telling you up front. All right. Just so you know, and, and just give them grace and uh, all that kind of stuff. And so relationships are, are really happening right now. But then the other side of that is, is, this time of year, we consume a lot. We consume relationships, but we just consume stuff and food and things and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we, uh, we're talking about a guilt-free Christmas. 
And uh, today, I know you're glad you came, because we're going to talk about materialism and, uh, and what that's, that is all about. But I want to look back a little bit at what Matthew said as we're talking about con- consumerism and, and where he landed last week that I thought was, was really, really good. And one of the things that he said uh, kind of in his, in his landing was that when we go to buy something this Christmas, and speaking of consumerism, is that we would, maybe too late for you, yeah, I'm, so I'm sorry if it is, but that, that we would buy it with cash, that we would not go in debt to buy whatever it is that we have, that we would own our stuff, that our stuff wouldn't own us. And the other thing he said is, you know, that when we do buy, that we would buy ethically. And uh, uh, you've probably seen, if not, they may still have some more, but there's little lists, uh, naughty and nice lists of companies that, that uh, treat their employees correctly. And uh, that when we buy something, it should benefit the person that made it. And, and that's an important thing. And, and i got to be honest, I, I never thought about that until this year. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's huge. And, and the way we do that is as followers of Christ and, and, and all that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about materialism. And I just want to say up front, this is easy. This is not hard to figure out. It's not hard to really even look in our lives more than likely with a little bit of self-awareness and see, hey, materialism is happening in, in my life. Uh, and so it's, it's not hard to figure out or, or even hard to understand. But I, I think sometimes we're, we may fall a little short in the area of materialism is why do we do it? Why do we go down the road of materialism? Because I would, it's probably pretty safe to say that 100% of us in here have been down that road where we thought something was going to bring significance to our lives, a, a material item, a thing, or something we had to have or, or needed to have or whatever, and we get it, and it's going to meet that need. And I just want to start with a definition today as we move in this. It says, materialism is the belief that the quality and value of one's life is defined by, some, by what someone owns. So you've got a little outline in the bulletin you got on the way in. You can pull that out. This is in there. Materialism is the belief that the quality and value of one's life is defined by what someone owns. And so it is taking that thing, taking something, a material item, and putting it on a pedestal, putting it up high. And we're saying that thing is going to bring me significance. That thing is going to add quality and value to my life. Now that I have that thing, my life is worth more. My life is more valuable. That's what materialism is about. And it's about doing that. And I just want to say, it's not just always materialism that we're talking about here. It could be a position that you have. You could idolize and, and put up on a pedestal a position. You could, your status, what you make, all these things could, could be that. And so that's why uh, materialism is rooted in idolatry. The root of materialism, the root of consuming things is in idolatry. And the great thing is, is the Bible throughout talks about this, okay? And we see in, in Paul and in, in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, 14, it says, flee from idolatry. In 1 John, a five-chapter book that this old sage, 80-year-old-plus probably man writes, these, these five chapters, the very last thing that he says is this, Keep yourselves from idols. That's, I mean, that's important. That's the last thing. Keep yourselves from idols. And I think as Americans, sometimes we could think, well, idols 
that's for those people over there. <laughs> that's like in another country where they believe in multiple gods or, or, or there, it's just this statue, little statue on the fireplace or, or a big statue somewhere that culturally they just are full of idols. And we can say, well, that's just someone else. That's not really us. That's not really me. But I'll just say that, that idols are everywhere. Idols are in America, every country, rich, poor, young, old. It, they're everywhere. And um, I think the basic thing that takes place is what Matthew was talking about last week in Romans 1 is there's an exchange that happens. Now that exchange could be consciously where we say, I want that. That's the most important thing. And we say, number one for me. Or it could be just a subconscious thing that we just kind of live life and we move into and we just live and tolerate and are used to idols in our lives. And we're just kind of used to it and we're, we go with the flow and, and all that kind of stuff and, you know, it's great or, or, or whatever. But it's not an American thing. I mean, just think about this. There, you could have a guy in India who could be extremely poor, but his whole focus and, and goal in, in his life, maybe today, is he wants, he wants to have a motorcycle to be able to travel around town. He's sick of riding the bus. He's sick of walking. He's sick of whatever. He sees the, He wants that. And so he works and works and works and works and saves and saves and saves. And finally, one day, he gets his motorcycle. The problem is, is he's been taking all his money for that, that he used to buy the motorcycle, and his, he had been feeding his family. He had been taking care of his family. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Because it's the same thing in America or, or wherever where somebody is totally doing fine and, and making plenty of money, all that kind of stuff, but they're always at the office. And they're just working and working and working and it's never enough and there's just greed. And so what happens? And he's, they're totally neglecting their family. That is idolatry. So it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's something that I like these, these words that, that Paul uses here when he, he says, flee from idolatry or keep yourselves. It's, it's like these words of warning. Here's what I would say. I, I think this is just true according to Exodus in the, in the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments are this. In Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Meaning there should be nothing in your life that is before me. I should be one. Number one. The second commandment says this. You shall not take for yourself an idol in any form of any kind in heaven, on earth, beneath, or the water below. Okay? It's just saying, don't put something else in my place. Don't allow something else. Here's, here's what I think. That if we just followed those two, those two things, we wouldn't do the rest of the stuff. We wouldn't steal. We wouldn't take something that didn't belong to us. If we're stealing, obviously we have a, a problem with idolatry. We wouldn't commit adultery because we'd be content with what God has already given us. We would know that, that God provided us that thing. I mean, you can't possibly, we, we, you can't, I can't possibly covet something else without there being some kind of idolatry in my life that I'd be wanting something that somebody else has. And so it's very important. Idolatry is the root in most cases of all the other sin that takes place in our lives. It's when we begin to take control of our lives and we say, this is number one now. And we move God out of his rightful place in our lives. That is idolatry. And it leads into materialism. Here's the tricky thing about idolatry. 
the tricky thing is this. All this stuff, getting married, having kids, buying a house, owning a car, having an iPhone, getting the coolest new video game this Christmas, none of these in themselves are wrong. It's not bad to have a house. It's not bad to have kids. It's not bad to have a job. And so it gets real tricky, and it really becomes very personal. It's where we have to let God, and you have to let God, just search your heart. What is it? What is your idol? What are the things that have that, that deal where they w- would want to come in and kind of take over your life? Because there's nothing wrong with these. There's not all these hobbies, these things in our lives. But it's when they begin to have an unhealthy place in, in our lives. And I just, I think one of the reasons we get idols, and I just want to take this a little deeper today. And just kind of, there's these things out here, but, but why? Why do, we, why do we go down these roads? And I think there's some things that sometimes happen to us where, where we get wounded, maybe as, as, as children or maybe as an adult, somebody did something to you or a boss or somebody said something to you or, or, or whatever it may be. And, and the way we respond in that is we can give a place uh, for an idol. I'll give you an example. I know a guy who, um, right as he was graduating high school, very gifted athlete, uh, and his family basically went bankrupt, and he had a very, very difficult time financially, okay, and he went through that, and, and uh, but because of his position and his abilities and talents, everybody watched it happen, and uh, I know one of his main goals is to never get in that place again financially. He would say, I don't ever want to be there again, and so what he has done has is gone out and kind of gone the opposite, and he is totally consumed with the idol of not being over here, and, and money and material and wealth and all of these things, and he's doing it because he was hurt one day. He was without one day. Or it could be as, as simple as, I feel lonely as a kid, or I, I don't want to be lonely ever again. And so, we got, well, I got to get married, or I got to have these relationships, or I got to do this, and all of a sudden, those things or, or the idea of marriage or the idea of just, you know, whatever can, can turn into an idol because we don't want, we have that deep need in us. Or, or I had a rough childhood. This happens all the time. I, have a rough, I had a rough childhood personally, you may say that, and I don't want my kids to have a, a rough childhood. And so I'm going to give them everything they want. All of a sudden, our kids become our idols. And we begin to just do whatever, because when we were kids, it was hard, or whatever. And I, I think that, here's, and this is just a very simple step from being kind of way over here and kind of moving more, is take those things, whatever they are, those times of loss, those times of loneliness, those times of when I had a, and say, God, here's, here it is. And we commit those hurts, we commit those losses to God, and ask God, God, would you heal me so that I can respond and live like you want me to live, not trying to form some kind of idol in my life to bring significance or to try to make something right that was wrong earlier, okay? Now, that's kind of deep, but just think about it. In your life, you, you may know people, and that, and that happened to them, where, where something happened, and they're living their whole life trying to, to fix it, and, and it's become an, an idol for them. And so they're trying to basically 
the whole thing is, we're trying to save our lives instead of allowing God to work things out. We're trying to make it happen. We're trying to fix our kids because we were messing. We're trying to, we need this or, or, or whatever. And so we take things into our, our own hands instead of saying, God, it's yours. I want you to think about this. If there's something in your life and you haven't said, God, this is yours, there's a good chance you got an idol. If we have things in our lives that we can't commit and give and trust God with, whatever it is, whatever it is, there's more than likely an idol. We have an idol on our hands for sure. I think one of the challenges with materialism, especially in our culture, is uh, the idea of contentment, that, that we could be content and not chasing and, and moving and trying to consume and, and gather and I need this and, 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 and it's hard to, to be content. And, uh, and I love Paul because uh, he was just amazingly content uh, in his life and if you read the, the book of Philippians, I just want to summarize that whole thing just kind of real quick, is this book reveals a, a man that is just content, just a person of complete contentment because he, he just loved this Philippian church like crazy. And uh, about 10 years after this church was, was planted, he sent a letter to uh, this church, and it's the letter that, that we have uh, today and, and throughout this entire letter, he is continually rejoicing. Uh, at, at one point in the letter, he calls these people his joy and his crown. And that's pretty. These are these are the my you people are my joy. You're my crown. You're you're the kind of people that I want everybody to know about. I want everybody to know about. You're you're my crown. You're my joy. And he was just encouraging them and blessing them because. These, this church had, had sent an offering, a big offering, had challenged them to give, and they did, and he was just encouraging them, saying, this is just awesome. And, and the whole time when he wrote this book, though, which kind of just makes it even more powerful, is Paul was in a prison. He wrote this book from a jail cell. And it wasn't like a three-night stay or probation or, or whatever. He was there for two years in this jail, writing this book. And the underlying theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And we've got a guy in a jail writing this in complete contentment. And one of the verses he says here in Philippians 4, 11, it says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in every, in, in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, I like about the attitude when I, I read this is, is Paul's not asking, you know, why? God, why am I in this jail? God, why did this happen to me? It's the... It's question he, he's doing is, God, what are you doing in my life right now? God, what's, what's going on in the gospel? What's going on in the kingdom of God out there that I can continually encourage and, and bless people right from, from where I am here in this 
uh, jail cell. There's a, a verse in here, I believe it's in the uh, 21st verse of chapter 1, where Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If, if there is any verse on contentment, that is it. He was content. To live is awesome. To die is a gain. And he had this attitude of, of contentment, and, and it was just, and it, and it, it totally motivated and put him in a place to extend uh, the gospel where he was. So when we talk about contentment, I just have a question. What is it that's going to make you content? I mean, what is it? Is it something that's coming up this week? Or you just had this or this relationship or this thing? or What is it? What is it in your life that's going to make you content? And I just challenge you to think about what that answer, what, what is really going to bring you contentment and just a, a, a trust and an abiding trust, just to trust God with what you have right now that you, you can be content with it. And I want to look at just how this happens in Luke 19. And I, I know that this passage has probably been read a lot, but it is just really rich and good. Um, out of Luke 19, about Zacchaeus. We'll start in verse 1, because this is going to show us, uh, and we're going to see a person that clearly was not content, and then all of a sudden, some contentment came about in his life, and some idols were laid down. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus approached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. And said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Today salvation came to this house. What happened here? This guy in a tree jumps down out of this tree. I mean, we're not, I mean, quickly. And goes and dines with Jesus. Jesus wants to come to his house. He comes to his house. And I don't know when. I don't know if it was a dinner. I don't know if it was like on the way and there was kind of a group of them or whatever. I think it was probably around the dinner table. At some point, though, Zacchaeus stood up, and everybody knew he had money. Everybody knew he was wealthy. I mean, everybody, he's a chief tax collector. They knew this guy. But something happened in Zacchaeus where he stood up and said, half of what I have, I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've ripped anybody off, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them four times. Can you imagine you got cheated by Zacchaeus and he's knocking on your door and he writes you a check four times when he cheated you? 
So he begins, there's this, all of a sudden, there's this change in Zacchaeus. And the kingdom of God is about little guys jumping out of trees saying, God's enough. God's enough. There's a verse, uh, I believe it's in Matthew, that says the kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then with his joy went away, sold all he had, and bought that field. And here's what I don't see. I don't see these guys like calling together like a committee meeting or getting with their friends or pulling their calculators out or taking a vote or whatever. This guy that wants the field, he says with joy he went and sold it all. With joy. Zacchaeus wasn't just hanging out in the tree, just, well, I don't know if I want to come down or not. No, I said he came down immediately. And what's the deal with these guys? What's the deal with these, these people? It's they got to the place where God was enough. Jesus, you're enough for me. I want that treasure. In the, I, I'm going to sell everything I have to get that field because God, you're enough. And until God is enough in our lives, we'll always want something else. We'll always want another material thing or, or person or, or this or that to be in that place. God's enough. And Brandon said something a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, he's talking about individualism. And it just kind of stuck with me, and, and uh, I just believe it's true, is that every person in this room, you have something important to bring to where you work, to this church, to your community group, wherever you go. God has given you and entrusted you and knit you together and put you together in a certain way. And there's a, a, a incredible significance about your life. Every person in here has that. And I believe one of the main reasons why materialism in our culture, in our world, in our lives exists is because we want to be significant. We want our lives to be significant. We want our lives to matter. And so we take something... And all of a sudden, because we have that something, then all of a sudden our lives matter more. And we want our lives to matter. But we know those things, they're just so temporary. They're just so fleeting because just for a while, that thing will be good. But if it's a computer, in about two weeks, it's outdated. If it's a car, how long is it for you? I mean, is it two years? A year? Until the new model comes out, right? Or maybe you got the biggest house in your neighborhood and then they're building a bigger one now, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just never ending. We'll, we'll never be satisfied. There'll, there'll never be a significance about our lives, and the place of significance happens in our lives when God is enough. When God's word and what he says about us is enough. 
when what God has done for us is enough. What Christ did for us, when that becomes enough, when what He said about us, when what He said about His life and what He was about and His purposes, when those things are enough for us, that's when significance happens. I just want to read four very simple verses that, that, uh, that are in red in your Bible, and, and Jesus said them, and I, I think they, they just bring some weight and, and significance to our lives if lived out and taken seriously. The first is John 15, 5. It says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, if, if you'll take the time to abide in me. The word abide, it just means to remain, just to, to stay put. I mean, I'm, I'm so easily distracted. It takes me like an hour to spend time with God because I'm just all over the place, right? I mean, I, but, but as long as God, he's saying, if we remain, if we stay put, if we abide in Christ, that there's going to be a fruit that comes from our lives. There's going to be a significance that comes from our lives. If we don't, what does it say? We can do nothing. Do you know where they get the word nothing? No thing. Aren't you glad you came? Right. So, so no thing is what's coming. We, 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 can't, we have to stay connected. In John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's, it's clear. I mean, stuff happens. Bad things happen. And how do we live in those waves and those storms and, and all that? And Jesus Christ said, I have overcome the world. I'm the overcomer, the whole thing, everything. I, I've overcome this world. You're going to have troubles. Matthew 20, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to, to be first m- must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, that's not just like Jesus. That's like his followers too. That's, that's like us. It, it, when he's saying this, this kind of thing, that, that we're just kind of grafted into that. That, that we're not here to, to be served, but, but to serve. We're not here to, to get, but to, to give. Jesus came and he gave his life. I think if there's any way that as Americans that... In, in this culture that we will beat materialism, it is a constant sacrificial giving. With our time, with our abilities, with our talents, that everything we have, that we give it sacrificially. It means when we serve, it hurts a little bit. When we write the check, it hurts a little bit. That kind of living, that kind of giving, it takes... It takes our eyes off all this other stuff, see? And all of a sudden, these other things out here, without near as important. That's what Jesus is talking about here. To, to, to serve, not to be served, to give your life. 
And this last one, is, it's just really simple, but w- when I read it personally, it's like, like eyeball to eyeball Jesus saying this. Standing, it's a Sermon on the Mount. There's people there, and there's a lot of people there, but I think mainly he's just kind of talking to his disciples and, and uh, in light of them because they're, they're right there. And, and this is what Jesus says. He's saying this to them, and he's saying this to us today as his followers. He's saying, you're the light of the world. And some of us have been in church so long that that's just not a big deal anymore. But the Son of the living God is saying to everyone as a follower of Jesus Christ in this building, you are the light of the world. That means your life matters. That means there's something significant about your life that you're the light of the world. And wherever you go, wherever we go, we're the light of the world. That is an awesome thought that God looks at us in our weakness, is in our frailty, in our sin, and says, you're the light of the world. You matter to God. What we do matters. How we live, it matters. Because Jesus Christ said, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. There's significance when we begin to live in that way, when we begin to live in that kind of light, let's, let's close our time today in prayer.